Good morning, everyone. A warm welcome to the inaugural episode of the Historical Society of the New York Courts podcast. We hope for this to be an ongoing series that explores issues in New York's legal history through the prism of one of the state's oldest institutions, its courts. You can learn more about the society at nycourts.gov history by going to our website. And my name is David Goodwin. I'm the current co-chair of the society's Young Lawyers Committee and a public defender in New York City. Our topic today is something at the very heart of historical inquiry, records, and specifically court records. It seems like every month there's a new article about a new entity that's preserving legal records for public use. The Free Law Project, archive.org, educational institutions such as Harvard, they all want to present and preserve legal history for wider use. But most of the time, they are focusing on case law, which is just the tip of the iceberg, as every lawyer knows. What about pleadings, briefs, transcripts, surrogates records, appraisal records, that sort of thing? Sure, Westlaw and Lexis might have some, as do some of the other big legal publishers. But as we all know, history has a very long reach, and it is just the tip of the iceberg. Remember, New York's first constitution is from 1777, so we've been doing this for a very long time. And New York is a very big state with many counties, many cities, many towns, and also many courts. Our guest today knows something about just how daunting historical record keeping can be and just about how at risk this data is. Judge Albert Rosenblatt, former president of the Historical Society, has served as an associate judge on the New York Court of Appeals, as an associate justice in the second department, and chief to our discussion today, uh, Chief Administrative Judge of the State and Supreme Court Justice of Dutchess County, and of course, Dutchess County District Attorney. He has forgotten more about New York history than I will ever know, and is a tireless champion of preserving and promoting New York's rich legal history. Judge Rosenblatt, welcome. Thank you. So as I alluded to in my introduction, um, you served as Chief Administrative Judge for the state. And from our discussion earlier, it was in that role that you first became really interested in issues of record keeping and making sure all the, there was a logic to the madness. Right. I became aware of it. I guess there was a faint interest, but I really didn't know much about records. I had assumed that there had been records that go back to some point, but uh, I imagined that it was uh, somewhat fragmentary. And it was not until we took on the initiative of looking into the records and seeing just what records are there that we came to the um, realization that a lot more has been thrown out than has been saved over the years. And at that point, uh, we decided to put in a, a, a protocol to save and retain records so that there's a, a process. So, uh, Judge, what year were you appointed Chief Judge? That would have been judge? in 1988 and 1989. <clears throat> so it's been over, say, in, in historical terms, over a quarter century ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's, a, that's rather late in the game, considering that, as you point out, the document, the Constitution is 1777, and we in New York go back to maybe 1623 or mm -hmm. so. Uh, in which there had been records. So we came late to the game, but uh, better late than ever. So 1988, 1989, you've got pretty much no internet. It exists, right. but nobody's right. on it. Right. Um, outside of major educational institutions right. and right. hobbyists, you don't have PACER, you don't have right. electronic filing, you don't right. have any of this sort That's of right. thing. Right. So when you're talking about um, 
putting a preservation system in place, I imagine you were dealing with a lot of different fiefdoms across a very widespread state. So what was the initiative that you took to try to standardize and create some sort of preservation protocol? Yeah, fiefdoms, that's a, that's a kind of a cute way to put it. Mm -hmm. Actually, they are uh, very earnest and dedicated county clerks, mm -hmm. each of whom has his or her own um, jurisdiction to preserve the records so that much of the New York State's uh, records, court records, are from county to county and depended on the personality, the habits, the rules, the beliefs, the historical importance of records county to county. Some counties, owing to a succession of county clerks that were mindful of the importance of records, uh, preserved the records well, others less so. And it varied from county to county, and we tried to maybe stitch things together and find out what is going on there by way of a process of, uh, and protocol. But that was in the late, that was in the late 1980s, uh, which as I say is late to the game, and at that time it was a little bit before Lexus and Nexus became totally universal. Right now they capture almost everything. But we're talking at that time about basically boxes and, boxes and crates and storage places that are going to be secure from water and mice. It, it, that was, it was at that level. So um, when you implemented the policy then, what did that look like in terms of communicating with the county clerks and putting best practices in place? Yeah, they were, they, by, you know, cooperative, uh, good people. Um, they understand that uh, space, storage space is always a problem. Even in wealthier counties, mm -hmm. storage space is an issue. But they understand that uh, we have to start at some point and there's a process so that it goes through uh, a number of uh, eyeballs to see whether uh, something is worth retaining. We bear in mind that you cannot keep every scrap of paper uh, uh, no matter how seemingly unimportant it is uh, or important it is. So uh, there's the process and hopefully that has continued on well and now we're going back a bit uh, to see how far back we can go and fill in the holes of, of what's missing in various counties or at least get an inventory of, of uh, the county so we know uh, what exists and how to protect them better. So when you talk about going back I imagine that this protocol you implemented was mostly about looking forward, but then when you got those very diligent county clerks, right. they have to deal with the right. years and years of accrued history before right. they got there. Exactly. So what did the backwards-looking process look like? And was there the same kind <laughs> of figuring out which scraps of paper to preserve versus right. not um, decision that had to be made there? It, it's good. This is a work in progress, and we're still uh, learning county by county, what exists in each county. It's an it's a enormously laborious project. <clears throat> Some counties have records that are uh, in different locations. <clears throat> uh, over the years, some have been better maintained than others, and we're still in the inventory stage. Uh, Jeffrey Huth, whose job at the Office of Court Administration is to do this very thing and, and pick up the inventory, we have reasonably good inventories uh, statewide and in New York County and maybe in other few counties, but county by county, that's going to be a long process going county by county, getting an inventory of basically of boxes and what has been preserved in a way that's still tenable so that in maybe, who knows what, with enough time and money, maybe digitizing, it, 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 maybe in 
10 years, 20 years, 50 years, it'll all be, uh, it'll all be online. <clears throat> uh, but that takes a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of effort. And I imagine we're talking about the county to county level. And as right. I alluded to my introduction, the counties themselves have a lot of political subdivisions, yeah. a lot of courts within that. Right. Has that complicated things when oh, you're sure. looking back for records? <laughs> oh, sure. Each, the courts sometimes retain their own records. In most counties, the records ultimately get sort of funneled into the county clerk. <clears throat> and as I say, uh, the county clerks by and large are um, dedicated and, and they, they, they don't take records lightly. That's their job. <clears throat> but it still is going to take a lot of work to find out just what's out there and the condition they're in. It also takes a lot of money. And there have to be purse-string holders that care enough about these things so that they can provide um, environments that are secure and temperature appropriate, uh, light appropriate. Uh, it takes a lot of time and, and effort, and I cannot uh, emphasize enough, it takes a lot of money. And, and that may mean the legislature or outside gifts or foundations. And if we hope that if any uh, angels are out there listening that care about these things, they might pick up some sponsorships. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly some of those angels do care. Um, there have been a lot of pushes in recent years towards making legal records more genuinely available. But it sounds like this is also the legwork of just finding them, getting them physically scanned, getting them in a condition where they can be physically scanned and put into you know, some better than Westies climate controlled storage facility. Um, I think scanning is a bit down the road. Mm -hmm. Given the scope of records in New York and the amount <coughs> Before we get to scanning, we have to get to identifying, mm -hmm. locating, and protecting. Yeah. And in terms of identifying, locating, and protecting, um, what kind of have there been initiatives that the legislature has approved or anything of the sort to really get that process moving, or has it been kind of ad hoc so far? It varies somewhat county to county. Some counties have done it on their own, mm -hmm. but they didn't need much encouragement because depending on the uh, importance that each county gives to its own history and the amount of money they want to spend on it. Uh, I have to say that record preservation is not the priority of most purse string holders in the counties. They appreciate the importance of records and retention, but they're going to say that with budgetary limitations, there are going to be other priorities that come ahead of records. Um, Potholes before the holes in the history, exactly. basically. Yeah, well said, yeah. I mean, they understandably have other priorities, more immediate, more pressing, more human. Um, but I think they're coming to appreciate that records are important in terms of the status of the county and in terms of our own, le our own uh, legacy and, and heritage, our, our, our cultural history. Now, Judge, before we started this uh, recording, you were mentioning to me that you had your own sort of adventure in figuring these records out when you were working on the Lemon Slave case matter. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I come to this basically as an amateur. I, I'm not a historian, but I came to it because when I was the chief administrative judge, we recognized that too many records had been thrown out and were being thrown out. <laughs> but it was when I got to... Um, uh, actually, to do some history itself, that I realized the importance of documents and that history is as good as recordation, considering that if it's not recorded, the oral histories are valid often, but they could be full of holes and could be open too much to misinterpretation. There's nothing like a piece of paper in which something is recorded um, 
assuming the legitimacy of the recorder, and that's always uh, that, or that could be open to question. But basically, uh, a history based on documents and records is far better than a history that is based on sheer memory and transition from one generation to another. <clears throat> so here again, in terms of history, uh, how, uh, how exciting it would be if we had history and we knew what was going on before the age of history. So let's say the world is this old from here to here. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the historical record has only been, if this is the beginning of the world, it's only been like in the last 45 seconds mm -hmm. when you consider how long it took us to write things down. <clears throat> so we're at this very, very end. And uh, what, imagine how much we would know and how exciting it would be if we could look in on documentation and recordation of things that happened thousands of years ago. You know, they find one mummy the other day somewhere, and it's, it's huge, it's, it's earth-shaking. Imagine if we had an abundance of records and not simply a sliver here and there. Right, the kind that are preserved. So you've got fossil records, but you don't have right. everything else that happened. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to uh, interpret and extrapolate, yeah, which is fun, mm -hmm. but um, it'd be a lot easier if things were actually written down fully. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to do that now so that people hundreds of years from now will know what was going on and they can build on it and use it. So when you were then looking up the lemon slave case issues, how did that yeah. then come oh about? My. Yeah, well the lemon case is fascinating. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the original documents in the lemon slave case, which is a notable case in the history of American law and in slavery and how our court uh, dealt with uh, issues of slavery, uh, I'm going to say that our lemon court was distinguished and uh, generates a lot of pride on our part, uh, satisfaction. <clears throat> but it was part of an inquiry that one has to make when one is writing a book on a subject to go back to the original records. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the Lemon Slave Case records were published by Horace Greeley and a couple of other publishers. So we have the actual writing. We don't have the original documents, which would have been in handwriting. And that's a shame. But that's, in a way, that's more sentimental than it is a hardcore history. So I can look at the printed version and get all I need out of that and feel a little bit disappointed that I cannot see the uh, original handwriting. <clears throat> but as an offshoot of the Lemon Slave case, <clears throat> looking at other related documents, I was very disappointed when I came to learn that uh, one of the lawyers in the Lemon Slave case uh, on the good side, representing the uh, uh, the efforts to, to uh, discharge the slaves was Chester Arthur, mm. who later became President of the United States. And at that time, he got into the case because he had previously represented a woman named Elizabeth Jennings, who, very much like Rosa Parks, was not allowed to sit on what then was the equivalent of the subway, it was a railway. And he went to court and he validated her right. He changed the policy of the railway at that time in New York City. Uh, he won the case and he won a verdict. Uh, those records are gone. We, all we have is an article or two about it. I mean, how exciting it would be to read the complaint, to read the record of the trial, and to see what young Chester Arthur had done. All we can do now is splice a few things together by articles which may or may not be reliable. Uh, and by uh, a newspaper article, which seems reliable, but is uh, just a fragment. It sounds like the materials that you had, it was the, f 
the, the sheer fortune of Horace Greeley deciding to publish them. In other words, he acted almost as the ersatz New York reporter for this case and got yeah. all the documents yeah. together. And so in, in a lot of ways, you're at the mercy of what someone in the stream of history decided yeah. was important versus well not said. important. Exactly so. Exactly so. I don't know what his uh, practice was. Maybe he thought certain cases were more important than others. Maybe he um, printed, published more or most cases. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked into that. I'm only grateful that he did the Lemon Slave case. So we have virtually <coughs> all the documents that, but now uh, printed, but not in their original form. But I was up at, uh, uh, at, at the Rare Book Room at Columbia the other day, and I found original documents that John Jay, who also was the lawyer for the Lemon Slaves, mm -hmm. and uh, Louis Napoleon, who was helpful in the case, some handwritten notes in the form of a petition to the governor, and that was in the original handwriting. Not the easiest to read. Mm -hmm. You almost need a translator. Uh, but that's, that goes back again to records. Uh, I could just interject here how lucky we were in a way, because in 1911 there was a huge fire in Albany, and I think by the time we had been in 1911, uh, people recognized the importance of records. And there was the Hall of Records in Albany in 1911, consumed by a fire. And water damage was devastating. But by some quirk, because the Dutch records were on the bottom, they were the older records, a lot of them were saved and salvaged. So we do have Dutch court records going back to the 1650s or thereabouts. So, Dutch. So is that then one of the perils of centralization? In other words, your, I, I used the word fiefdom earlier, which I realize makes it, it, it does sound a little bit flippant in terms of these are all people who are really right. uh, trying very hard to yeah. get their, their houses in order, both forward and backwards. But in a way, decentralization means that if you don't have everything in one place, a tragedy that strikes, you know, like we saw in Brazil recently, um, isn't going to take out your in, right. almost your entire history. Right. Is there some thought about that, cognizance of that, when we talk about preserving historical records, that you want to make sure you have multiple backups when you're doing things digitally? You don't want to make, you know, you don't want to have everything in one place so that one disaster takes it all out. Well, that's digitization. Mm -hmm. I mean, as it is now, a box of records is a box of records mm -hmm. and there's no way to reproduce it. I think a lot of it depends on the thoughtfulness, the integrity of the people. In my own county, Will Tatum, the county historian, marvelous Brad Kendall, um, you know, these peop people keep a very good house and in Dutchess County, the records are close to pristine. They're kept in a building that's appropriate and they can find things. They have things indexed and marked. Um, that is not going to be true throughout the state of New York mm -hmm. for various reasons, maybe fires, floods, damage, who knows what. <clears throat> uh, and that's something that uh, in the future, hopefully, again, it's going to take money. And um, I hope there can be grants or foundations that have enough interest in this that we can go to a particular county. And when they tell us that they don't have the funds to do this, and that's a legitimate concern, we can say, well, okay, uh, there are people who want to, whose foundation is interested in this, and they can give you X thousands of dollars to clean it up, get it in shape, and maybe do some restoration <coughs> and preservation. So, Judge, if you had your druthers, what would this kind, and I think you just alluded to this uh, just now, what would a kind of comprehensive, fun well-funded records effort look like? 
I would say given limitless money and limitless effort and limitless time, <clears throat> we'd have to identify every shred of every record that's out there, where they are. Then we'd have to store them and keep them in places where they're not going to be open to um, abuse or to deterioration. Then the next thing would be to digitize them so that multiple copies can be made and they're online and they're digitized so that if there is a fire, we have them. Uh, that, is, that takes millions of dollars. It takes uh, uh, commitment and interest on the part of the legislature because these are r records of New York. Mm -hmm. So the records of the court system and the legislature, <clears throat> and it's a question of whether and to what extent the legislature wants to fund record retention of the third branch. I imagine there are those who do. I also imagine that there are those who say that it's not the highest priority. But I think ultimately it would be digit first finding out what records there are, which is massive inventorying, then protecting them, and third, keeping them in good um, locations, temperature, climate, light, whatever it takes, the experts would know, and then digitizing them, and then to the extent possible, keeping them so that in a few hundred years from now, someone can look at a document and say, oh my, look at that. It's in English. They were speaking English in those days. <laughs> Just they, like we look at it now, we say they were speaking Dutch. It's Dutch. Right, but they hadn't, you know, decided to use emojis in the legal documents quite yet. Is it fair to say, Judge, sort of crystallizing that the first impulse is preservation right. and the second impulse is access? In other words, information wanting to be free, right. easy access is fine, yes. but if we manage to get some l school library, for instance, to really put the money forth and add yeah. them to their collection, having them exist, having them yeah. be available, even if just to scholars and people visiting yeah. certain libraries, yeah. that takes priority over everyone has access all the time to these records. Is that correct to say? Um, well, there are libraries where book rooms that do have original singular records so mm -hmm. that hopefully will always go on but I I would think the first thing even before you get to the important things that you mentioned in sequence was finding finding what's out there mm -hmm. that still is incomplete well we still as we speak now and I hope this can be done in the near future find out what records there are and where where they are housed uh, and I'm, I think in some instances even that knowledge is as of this moment, incomplete. So that's a massive job. In other words, you don't know what to preserve until you've actually done the diligence. Right, mm -hmm. right. What's, what's there? We have, we have Tom Roller, who's a great guy. He's the archivist, very enthusiastic and devoted. Uh, it takes a lot of time. Thank you so much, Judge, for wow. uh, taking the time to talk with us today. David, you're such a good interviewer. <laughs> very good. I do what I can, not making this my day job anytime soon, but thanks again for um, joining in. Uh, again, if you'd like to learn more about the Historical Society of the New York Courts, our website is at newyorkcourts.gov, excuse me, nycourts.gov slash history. Uh, we'd love to see you at a future event, and we hope to have you listen in on a future podcast.